Was Paul a true apostle of Jesus Christ? Paul, in his epistles, says he was appointed by Jesus as an apostle of his. But in the three appearance accounts in Acts, the person Paul met saying, I am Jesus, outside Damascus, says only that Paul will be a martyr, a witness. See Acts 26, 16. I have appeared to thee to make thee a witness. That person saying, I am Jesus, never appoints Paul as an apostle. See Acts chapters 9, verses 4 through 7, chapter 22, verses 6 through 9, and chapter 26, verses 13 through 18. For this reason, scholars concur that Luke has a different view than Paul does about whether Paul was an actual appointed apostle of Jesus, an apostle with a capital A. Wikipedia has a good introduction in the article, Historical Reliability Facts, and notes the issue about a disparity between Luke's acts and Paul's claims, including about his supposed apostleship. A key contested issue in the historicity of Luke's depiction of Paul. According to the major viewpoint, Acts described Paul differently from how Paul describes himself, both factually and theologically. Acts differed with Paul's letters on important issues such as the law, Paul's own apostleship, and his relation to the Jerusalem church. John Crossan and Jonathan Reed in their latest work of 2004 explain the nature of this disparity and notes Luke does not call Paul an apostle with a capital A. This is explained in John Crossan and Jonathan Reed's In Search of Paul, How Jesus' Apostle Opposed Rome's Empire with God's Kingdom. In all his letters, Paul sees himself as an apostle sent from God through Christ. The very vocation for which Paul lives is denied him by Luke. He is, to be sure, an important missionary, but he is not an apostle equal to the twelve. That's the end of their quote. Furthermore, Crossan and Reed make the point that Luke's account in Acts 1 of how Matthias replaced Judas as the twelfth apostle excludes the possibility of a thirteenth apostle such as Paul. They write, Luke insists in Acts 1 that after Jesus' resurrection, there were still, always, and only the twelve apostles. For Luke, Paul is simply not an apostle. Without Matthias' explicit selection, one might have imagined that Luke's Paul was at least implicitly Judas's replacement as the twelfth apostle. With it, Luke implies that Paul was not an apostle and never could be one. He could never be the one thing Paul always insisted that he was, namely, an apostle sent by God through a revelation of the risen Lord. Crossan and Reed at page 29. Similarly, we read from conservative evangelical scholars Hengel and Schwermer in their book Paul Between Damascus and Antioch at 321, that based upon the same reasons, the following is true. In Acts, Paul is denied the title of apostle. Thus, the only person to say Paul is an apostle of Jesus Christ in the entire New Testament is Paul himself. Yet, we know that Jesus said if he alone bore witness to himself that his witness would be untrue. In John 5.31, we read, If I bear witness of myself, my witness is not true. In Jesus' case, God spoke from heaven twice in front of multiple witnesses at Jesus' baptism and transfiguration that Jesus was God's Son. God from heaven also said, Listen to him. 
Paul must meet a similar confirmation that an important title was given of apostle in front of two witnesses by Jesus. In the vision accounts, the Jesus whom Paul meets, which is recounted three times in Acts, never says Paul is an apostle of Jesus. Why must we follow Jesus' requirement of two witnesses for a significant appointment as apostle? Jesus was simply extending the law's principle so that two witnesses were necessary to establish not only a wrong, but also anything as important as God sending someone for a special role. In fact, Jesus in Revelation 2.2 clearly agrees self-serving claim to be his apostle is insufficient. Jesus commended the Ephesians for finding those claiming to be apostles were not. Hence, in that case, there was only self-serving proof. Jesus commended the Ephesians for rejecting that as sufficient proof. Thus, Paul's claim to being an apostle suffers from being self-serving. By a biblical standard from Jesus himself, Paul's self-witness is not true. We will discuss this principle from Revelation 2-2 below in more depth. But first, we will address that Paul even admits he is not one of the twelve apostles. Paul's implicit self-awareness he was not one of the twelve. Paul did not consider himself one of the twelve apostles. In 1 Corinthians 15.5, Paul says that after the twelve saw the resurrected Jesus pre-ascension, Paul became one who, out of time, post-ascension, also saw Christ. Paul necessarily thus did not consider himself to be one of the twelve. He implicitly recognized the validity of Matthias's election by lots to be the twelve, as the eleven true apostles asked Jesus in heaven through the Holy Spirit to make the decision on the twelve. This is recorded in Acts chapter 1. Thus, when Paul calls himself an apostle, what could he mean instead? The word apostle means messenger. Paul could use the term apostle about himself in a loose sense of a messenger of Jesus' doctrines as taught by the twelve. This means he had no independent authority distinct from the twelve apostles. But some claim Paul thought he had an independent authority of the twelve, or at least equal to any of them. Did Paul ever act like he had such authority in the book of Acts? No. Paul did not act authoritatively in response when some came with the gospel to Antioch that Gentiles had to be circumcised. Paul claimed no vision or revelation to solve the dilemma. Nor did the Antioch church treat Paul as if he had any authority at all, even though Paul likely disagreed with these teachers. Instead, Paul was assigned by the Antioch church to go and ask the apostles at Jerusalem to resolve the issue. Hence, Paul's actions were inconsistent with him having such an opinion of himself as an apostle equal to the twelve, or with any authority from Jesus himself to answer the question. For had Paul thought he had such authority to give Jesus' answer based upon having heard from Jesus previously or by new revelation, Paul should have been able to quell the issue easily. Paul could have said that he had the authority as an apostle of Jesus Christ, and I mean apostle, capitalized. However, Paul's actions were inconsistent with such belief about himself at the time of Acts 15. Moreover, the Antioch church's action was inconsistent with Paul being an authoritative apostle in touch with Jesus. For the Antioch church sent Paul as its messenger to ask the twelve their view on the issue of circumcision. 
Paul and the Antioch church obviously mutually understood that Paul was simply a messenger from Antioch to the Jerusalem church, acting on behalf of the Antioch church as its messenger, not coming to Jerusalem to approve Paul's likely view, had Paul been the one attempting to exercise authority, which he was not. Thus, no one imagined, including Paul, that Paul alone had authority to rule on the issue, or recall Jesus' teachings, or receive revelations from Jesus to answer the issue. Paulinists see the problem and provide implausible explanations. In a recent 2015 article by the Christian Courier called Character Traits of Paul, the argument is made that Paul did not assert he could answer the question as an apostle because he was humble. He supposedly declined out of humility, and not because Paul did not believe he was a true apostle of Jesus Christ. Even saying that, the author knew that Paul clearly elsewhere exhibited a tendency of boasting, hence this argument is implausible. Regardless, let's hear the argument and then reassess the truth after hearing this point. Wayne Jackson writes about the trait of humbleness in Paul from the fact that he did not assert an apostolic authority in Acts 15, which Paul supposedly knew 100% he had from Jesus. While many character traits of Paul readily come to the student's mind, likely humility is not the first one of these. But the humble Pauline disposition clearly is there for the perceptive reader. After Paul and Barnabas had completed their missionary campaign in Asia Minor, they settled for a while in Antioch of Syria. Presently, certain men from Judea arrived. Incredibly, they were teaching a Judaistic gospel, namely that unless one submits to the Hebrew rite of circumcision, in addition to the fundamentals of the gospel, he cannot be saved. Acts 15.1 This doctrine so adverse to the message that Paul and Barnabas had proclaimed in their previous preaching, required a response. There was much dissension and questioning about the issue, and the peace of the church was in jeopardy. A suggestion thus was made that two missionaries, in the company of several other brothers, should proceed to Jerusalem and inquire there of the apostles and elders about this matter. Hence, the investigative party was dispatched to the Holy City. Now here is a question of interest. Why did not Paul interject himself into the initial discussion by demanding, listen, there is no need for a deputized group to consult with Jerusalem. I myself an apostle of Christ and not a whit behind any of the others. Compare 2 Corinthians 11.5. I am perfectly capable, therefore, of settling this issue on my own. Circumcision will not be required. But the sensitive apostle knew this was a volatile situation. If the Christians at Antioch felt the need of consulting the broader band of apostolic authority, Paul would not insist on thrusting himself to the forefront. The larger cause of Jesus was more important on this occasion than his own ego. He would humbly recede into the shadows for a moment, and that gospel might not be damaged. This was not the last time that this gracious servant of Christ would yield in a matter of expediency for the sake of his kinsmen and the Lord. Compare 1 Corinthians 9.12. This is a kind of argument to rationalize Paul's behavior was motivated by humility. However, given Paul's clear habit of boasting in his letters, see our article, Did Paul Have an Enormous Self-Image? The more likely reason for Paul's behavior is he did not perceive himself at that point to be an apostle of Jesus Christ. Paul did not act or believe as if he had an authority equal to any of the twelve. 
The additional reason to think so is when Paul arrives and meets in Acts 15 with the Twelve, Paul accepts Peter saying in Acts 15.7 that the Holy Spirit long ago had called himself to be an apostle to the Gentiles. How the Holy Spirit did so is recorded in Acts 10. Peter in Acts 15.7 in the NIV says, Brothers, you know that some time ago God made a choice among you that the Gentiles might hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe. Paul did not object. Paul did not say that he had that appointment. However, Paul later in the epistles would take that title for himself. Not a shining moment of humility. For example, in Romans 11.13, Paul says he is an apostle to the Gentiles. Paul grabs away what Luke records the Holy Spirit revealing to Peter in Acts 10, and repeated by Peter in Acts 15.7. Despite Peter's clarity, Paul is silent in Acts 15 at the Jerusalem Council. Peter clearly claims that he, Peter, is the apostle to the Gentiles by the choice of the Holy Spirit long ago. Paul does not jump up and say, foul, Jesus picked me. Paul is silent. Nor did Paul say at the Acts 15 conference that Jesus spoke to him personally in a vision or by an appearance, and thus Jesus gave Paul authority to say circumcision was not a requirement to become a Christian. Of course it was not a requirement, for in the law only sons of Israel had to be circumcised, Leviticus 12, 1-3, unless a Gentile wished to enter the temple or celebrate Passover. Thus, in Acts 15, Paul was silent among all of the twelve about having any message or direction from Jesus to answer the question before all twelve. Paul asserted no authority whatsoever at the meeting with the twelve recorded in Acts 15. This is a big problem for those who think Paul had constant authority and inspiration. Hence, Acts 15 is the dispositive proof that the reason Paul did not tell the Christians in Antioch that he could give binding decision is because Paul did not yet have that self-belief that he was an apostle with a capital A. What about Acts 14.4? 14, 14. Does Luke call Paul an apostle of Jesus Christ? While pro-Paul scholars may believe that Paul's claim of apostleship in his letters is more valid than Luke's own account, we cannot side with Paul's letters out of conventional thinking. As believers, we must act instead like good Bereans. We consider what problem arises with Paul's claim of apostleship with capital A is uncorroborated by Luke and implicitly negated. But some challenge whether Luke perhaps does call Paul an apostle in Acts 14.4. There Luke says Paul and Barnabas were sent from the church at Antioch as apostles to go to Jerusalem and meet the leaders of Christianity there to resolve the issue whether the Gentiles had to be circumcised. But the Antioch church sending the two as their messengers, carrying a letter with a legal question for the twelve to decide at Jerusalem, cannot be construed as recognizing Paul as any apostle of Jesus. It implies entirely the opposite. Their using Paul as the messenger to Jerusalem implies that they did not accept or think Paul was an apostle of Jesus with an authority from Jesus to give them a message on the spot or to resolve authoritatively their question. The Antioch church had to hear from the Twelve. Let's draw out this problem that Pauline scholars cannot overcome. First, 
In reading Acts 14.4, one must first realize apostolos is an ordinary Greek word meaning messenger. One has to see the context and decide whether Luke intended us to understand the title of Apostle of Jesus Christ or not. The first hint that it is not used in the title sense is that had Acts 14.4 that the meaning of Apostle of Jesus Christ then Barnabas should also be regarded as an apostle of Jesus Christ, not simply Paul. But the proof no one ever understood Acts 14.4 this way is that no one in the early church ever made the claim that Barnabas was an apostle of Jesus Christ. We never hear of Apostle Barnabas. As Melissa Cutler, a fan of Paul and Marcion, even admits in her study entitled Marcionite Scripture, that verse, Acts 14.14, mentions the apostles Barnabas and Paul, since Barnabas is not an apostle in the more specific sense of the word. Even here, the author is not acknowledging Paul's status as an apostle. The reason is clear because in context, Paul and Barnabas are simply described in Acts 14.4 as messengers of the Antioch church on the issue of circumcision, just as Barnabas is described. They are apostles, with a small letter A, not a capital A. As Christian evangelical historian Ben Witherington explains in New Testament History at page 229, the use of the term apostoli in Acts 14.4 and 14 seems to indicate that Paul and Barnabas are being viewed as agents apostles of the Antioch Church, not apostles with a capital A. End of quote. Next, if Luke intended Paul and Barnabas to be apostles of Jesus Christ with the same authority as the Twelve, then a second quandary arises. Paul in Galatians 1.19 said one of the apostles was James, the brother of Jesus. This James chairs as bishop the conference of Jerusalem in Acts 15. There, the twelve apostles plus Paul as a messenger from Antioch, discuss legal duties of the Gentiles who become Christians. If we must conclude that this James, the author of the epistle of James, and Paul are equally apostles of Jesus Christ, then why do they contradict about grace alone without works? Luther was right. Put the dunce cap on me if you can reconcile the two passages. The Encyclopedia Britannica has this correct. Paul's reference to James as an apostle and Luke's reference to Barnabas as an apostle in Acts both are using a looser meaning of the word apostle than meaning an apostle of Jesus Christ. Rather, Luke has in mind the ordinary meaning of messenger. The Encyclopedia Britannica, in its article James from 1896, volume 13 at page 553, the two passages, 1 Corinthians 15.7, and Galatians 1.19, from which it might be argued that James, the brother of the Lord, was an apostle, cannot be relied upon. For we find the same title given to Barnabas, and it is certain that the name apostle began to be more widely applied after the ascension than it is in the Gospels. Our next topic in this discussion is Revelation 2.2 sets the standard and arguably was used in Paul's case. It is hard to imagine that Paul's claim of apostleship never came to the attention of any of the twelve apostles. One would expect to find some testing by the apostles of Paul's claims to be an apostle. 
Jesus in Revelation chapter 2 verse 2 mentions a trial at Ephesus of persons who told the Ephesians they were apostles. The verdict found those saying they were apostles were not true apostles, proving Jesus concurs that a self-serving claim to apostleship does not suffice to prove it so. Jesus told the Ephesians in Revelation chapter 2 verse 2 in Young's literal translation, I have known thy works, and thy labor, and thy endurance, and that thou art not able to bear evil ones, and that thou hast tried those saying themselves to be apostles, and are not, and hast found them liars. In Revelation, Jesus did not say the same thing to any of the other six churches whom he addressed. Jesus made this remark only to the church among the seven whom we know Paul visited, the church at Ephesus. And among the seven churches, it was only the church at Ephesus whom we know about Paul told that he was an apostle. To repeat in what we quoted above, Paul wrote this church in Ephesians 1.1 in the ASV version. From Paul, chosen by God to be an apostle of Jesus Christ to God's people who live in Ephesus and are faithful followers of Jesus Christ. If Paul were the object of Jesus' remarks in Revelation chapter 2 verse 2, it then makes sense that the only church at Ephesus would be commended for trying someone who told the Ephesians that he was an apostle. To the Ephesians and to them alone, Jesus commends them for testing the ones who said they were apostles and are not, but are liars. Now it was to the Ephesians that we likewise know Paul said he was an apostle. Our next topic in this discussion is, was Paul not an apostle, thus bringing Revelation 2-2 directly to bear on Paul? Indeed, as demonstrated above, there is no evidence for Paul being an apostle except from Paul's own mouth. As Alan F. Siegel in his Paul Convert at page 189 mentions in Acts, Luke makes no reference to the twelve accepting Paul's apostolate. Of course, the four gospel accounts have no mention of Paul and thus offer no basis to confirm Paul as an apostle. Could there ever be a 13th apostle with a capital A? It is also clear from Acts that the apostles themselves understood their number was set at 12, but that this did not include Paul. Long before Revelation 2-2 was written, we know from Acts chapter 1, verses 21 through 26, that the twelfth apostle, Matthias, was chosen to replace Judas. The apostles' criteria for the replacement in Acts chapter 1, verses 21 through 22, was that it had to be someone who was with the others from the beginning of Jesus' ministry. Luke reveals, therefore, that the eleven had a criteria that would likewise exclude adding Paul as an apostle. Then Jesus in the book of Revelation reveals 12 is the number of apostles for all time. The verse of Revelation chapter 21, verse 4, follows the mention of the 12 gates of New Jerusalem. Each gate has a name of the 12 tribes of Israel on it. Revelation 21:14 CEV then says, The city was built on 12 foundation stones. On each of the stones was written the name of one of the Lamb's twelve apostles. There is a clear correspondence of one apostle for each of the twelve tribes, gates, and foundation stones. The number each time is only twelve. 
It implies that there are not supposed to be more than 12 apostles. You cannot have 13 or 14 apostles judging the 12 tribes. Jesus made this clear during his earthly ministry as well. Jesus in Matthew 19, verse 28, said the role of the 12 apostles was to sit upon 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. The apostles understood it the same way. When Judas fell away and was lost, they added Matthias to bring their number back to 12. Acts 1, 21 through 26. When apostles were martyred later, such as Apostle James, the brother of John, mentioned in Acts 12, 2, the apostles did not replace him. Had they done so, this would bring their number to 13 in the resurrection ruling over the new Jerusalem. The apostles must have seen the mismatch when a 13th apostle would represent in fulfilling their role as 12 judges over the 12 tribes into eternity. Alan Johnson in the Calvinist Expositor's Bible Commentator agrees that the early church treated the offices of the 12 apostles as dying with them. They were not to be replaced. Their number of 12 was unique. Thus, Alan Johnson writes in his article, Revelation, Hebrews, Revelation, and the Expositor's Bible Commentary, in volume 12 at page 434, as follows. As to whether the authoritative function of apostles continued after the first century, the apostolic fathers are instructive. In no case do the many references to apostles in the writings of Clement of Rome, Ignatius, Barnabas, and the Shepherd of Hermas relate to any recognized apostles other than those associated with the New Testament. The fathers apparently understood the special apostolic function on earth to have ceased with the end of the apostolic era. Luke and Acts made it evident that there were only 12 apostles for all time, and this excluded Paul. Never does Paul claim to be an apostle of Jesus. Never do any of the apostles describe Paul as an apostle. This has generally been recognized by all Pauline scholars. As a final word, this truth has been long recognized in the church. Tertullian explained in his famous work against Marcion, an early Orthodox apologetic, that Paul was not on par with the Twelve and was their inferior proven by Paul's submission to them in Acts 15, which we explained why above. In the same context, Tertullian wrote, Jesus only appointed 12 apostles, and that was the fixed number for all time. This statement, quoted next, mathematically eliminates Paul as a 13th apostle. Tertullian discreetly did not directly point out that implication. So we read in Book 1, Chapter 13, that Tertullian is emphatic that there are only 12 apostles for all time. We read in the sacred writings of Tertullian as follows. But why was it that he chose 12 apostles and not some other numbers? For of this number I find figurative hints up and down the Creator's dispensation in the 12 springs of Elfin, in the 12 gems of Aaron's priestly vestments, and the twelve stones appointed by Joshua to be taken out of the Jordan and set up the Ark of the Covenant. Now, the same number of apostles was thus portended. Tertullian's points about Paul. In 207 AD, the early Orthodox Church was resisting a Paul-only movement known as Marcionism. 
This movement held Paul is the only apostle for the current dispensation, and all the law given Moses was abrogated and belonged to a prior dispensation. Also, as Romans 7, 1 through 7, plausibly can be read, Marcion claimed that the husband God who gave the law was dead and gone, thereby ending the law between himself and his betrothed people. But now Jesus supposedly represents the good God of the New Testament. Marcion said once Jesus resurrected, we are now permitted to marry as our new husband. The Marcionites appear to be fairly reading Paul, as Paul expressly taught the law given Moses was only binding while the father-husband still lived. For more on this, see our article on Romans chapter 7, verses 1-7. through 7. It demonstrates the thesis of Marcion with its horrible view that Yahweh is dead in Sheol forever can indeed be found in this passage from Paul. Continuing with Tertullian's rebuttal to Marcion, Tertullian did it in two ways. First, in Against Marcion, written in 207, Tertullian proved the impossibility that there can never be two gods. There is always only exclusively one god. Secondly, Tertullian challenged the validity of the authority which Marcion invested in Paul as an apostle and or prophet. Tertullian relying heavily on Acts, especially chapter 15, to prove Paul was not an apostle. While beginning against Marcion, seemingly accepting of Paul, Tertullian finally gets to the elephant in the room, Paul, and makes the following sober points about Paul. Jesus never made Paul an apostle from the records that we can read. Paul's claim to apostleship solely relies upon Paul's veracity. 